It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Would you be my neighbor? Hello, Erie County. I am so excited to be here and to be part of what God is doing in your community. It's amazing to see churches coming together, pastors coming together, and to speak with one voice to an entire community. And that's part of my story. It's part of what happened to me and to my friends. I'm Dave Runyon. I'm the co-author of the book, The Art of Neighboring. And I spent 10 years as a pastor in the Denver metro area. I worked at two great churches. But something happened to me that began to change the trajectory of my life. In my city, like here in Erie, a number of the pastors started to get together and to dream and to pray and to think about our city and how we could serve our city together. We kept asking this question, what is it that we could do together that we could never do alone? And as we began to ask that question, we started to bring in different local government leaders. And so we brought in our police chief, we brought in our city manager, And about eight years ago, 22 of us gathered in a room with our mayor. And our mayor came in and began to share his heart with us. And we asked him, if you had a magic wand that could change one thing about our community, what would you change? And he had a long list of a lot of good things. He had this little piece of paper that he pulled out and he read it to us and he talked about, he wanted to live in a city where there were no elderly shut-ins, where there are no single moms that live below the poverty line, where there are no at-risk kids, where there is no financial debt, And there were several different things on this list. And then he took the list and he put it in his back pocket. And then he said something very much in passing to us. He said, you know, if you guys really want to change something in our city, you should start some kind of neighboring movement. And then he just went on. He was just going to leave that thought right there. And we said, no, no, go back to that. Tell us more about that. And he began to share with us about how they were learning that the closer people know each other in their neighborhood, the less weight there is on all the systems that they're trying to provide for people in need. He said, you know, we can start another program for elderly shut-ins, or that person who's growing older and more isolated could live on a block in which they're known and cared for and watched after by the people who live right around them. And then he said this, he said, that the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just become a community of people who are great neighbors. It was horribly convicting to sit there as a pastor, as a person who makes their living helping people live out the text. And and then to hear our mayor say, hey, you know what the smartest thing you guys can do is? why don't you go and do that thing that Jesus said matters most? Now, this is not what our mayor said, but this is what we were hearing as he was talking. He didn't connect the dots, and and we were sitting there going, oh, no, he's telling us to do the Bible. It It was sacred, beautiful, convicting all at one time. And it sent my friends and I on this incredible journey. We began to pray about what we should do with what we heard. We began to reach out to other local government leaders. The next time that we gathered together and met, we brought in Vicki Ryer, our assistant city manager. And she had all of these great stats about why literal neighboring matters, how it changes people's, how long people live, it changes the crime rates, that your neighbor is always your first responder in a time of crisis. 
And then she said this to us. She said, you know, from where we sit at the city level, we can't see a difference, a noticeable difference in the way Christians and non-Christians treat their actual neighbors. And as pastors, when we sat there and heard her say that, it just cemented in all of us that we had to do something. And I remember driving home that, that first time from the meeting with the mayor, and there were all kinds of thoughts going through my head. But the two that I can remember are this. I had this thought as I'm entering back into my little cul-de-sac, and I thought to myself, Jesus is smart. <laughs> like, you would think as a pastor, I would know that. But it just became really crystal clear to me that, like, when Jesus gets asked to boil the entire text down to one thing, he says to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Is it possible that Jesus gives us a very simple strategic plan that if every believer did it, it would change the world overnight? And that thought was just ringing throughout my head. And then I had this thought, I realized I wasn't doing it. I was involved in a lot of good things. I was trying to help people figure out life in their marriage and life with their kids. I was doing outreach events at the church. I was sitting on the boards of several different nonprofits, but I was putting almost zero intentionality into life with my actual neighbors, to leaning anything at all towards them. And I went in that day and I told my wife what had happened with the mayor and my wife's been ahead of me in most things in life. And she just looked at me and said, what are you gonna do about it? What are you going to do? And I didn't want to lock myself in any, any kind of real accountability. And so I just said, you know, I think I'm just going to hang out in the front yard more and just see what happens. And that's all I did. I just started to hang out a little bit more in the front yard. And that one little experiment, and I said I was just going to do it for about a year. It's been eight years now. That one little act of just being available, being around in my front yard has changed everything. And I just began to take small steps with the people that God has put around me. And it's been life-changing for me and for many of the people that live right around me. My pastor friends and I all began to experience some level of growth in this area. And then we decided to go and to do what you're doing. We did a joint sermon series all across our city. We began to share with our people this idea of like this question, like what if Jesus meant our actual neighbors too? And we saw time after time after time, we started to hear these stories of people who were coming back and saying, you're not gonna believe what happened. Or you're not gonna believe what happened. Sometimes the tone was a lot different. But it started to change not only just the lives of us as pastors, but also the lives of the people who show up to our churches. And we started to see a lot of things. Um, the, the tip, we hit a tipping point in our community and in our city. And it was been, it's been great to, to watch as God has done this in our community, my prayer is that this is gonna happen in your community as well. And so today I'm gonna to wrap up this series and we're gonna dive into Luke chapter seven. And we're gonna pick a few things out of this text that we can learn about neighboring. It's a passage you've probably read or heard taught about before. The big idea of it is about grace. But today we're gonna to look at it through the lens of literal neighboring and see what we can learn about how to do life better with the people who we live around. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter seven. We're gonna pick it up in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. 
Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, I don't know exactly what this banquet looked like. It may have been in an outdoor courtyard. It may have just been in a large house. But imagine what this scene must have been like. This woman who has been impacted by Jesus, either hearing about his teaching or maybe she's directly heard his teaching. She is so overwhelmed that when she hears that he's going to be at this place, she just decides to walk in uninvited. And when she walks in uninvited, she doesn't just walk there and kind of hover around the edges. She walks in and she throws herself down at the feet of Jesus and she begins to cry and to wet his feet with her tears and then to dry them off with her hair. And then she takes out this alabaster jar of perfume. We learned earlier that she is a sinner, which is Bible slang for she's a prostitute. And so this sinner, this sinful woman who has this alabaster jar of perfume, which is probably the most valuable thing that she owns, she breaks it open and begins to pour it on Jesus. It's an incredible scene. And in this moment, we see that Simon, this religious leader, is there. And he's watching this whole thing unfold. But Simon doesn't really see what's going on. Let's look at verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Simon watches all of this unfold and then he thinks to himself, Jesus isn't the real deal after all. Because if he's a holy man, he would never let a woman like this, somebody who's unclean, come near him, much less touch him. And then Jesus does something that is terrifying. At least it would be terrifying to me if I was Simon. He answers what Simon is thinking. Look at that verse again. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. One denarii, by the way, was the equivalent of one day's wage. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Today, Jesus' parable would probably sound like this. There were two people. One had racked up credit card debt and owed about $6,000. The other one had racked up multiple credit cards, had fallen behind on their home and their car and several other things, and owed about $250,000. And then the bank calls them both and says, guess what? I'm going to wipe the slate clean. Which of those two would be more filled with gratitude, with love, with appreciation? That's the question that Jesus poses to Simon. And Simon's response is classic. He says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. I suppose the one. He doesn't even want to answer the question. He knows where Jesus is leading him. And Jesus looks at him and says, that's right. You get the gold star, Simon. You answered correctly. And then Jesus turns, this whole time he's been talking with Simon, it says Jesus turns and he looks at this woman and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Simon, do you see this woman? 
Of course, Simon saw the woman. He had already judged her. But that's not what Jesus is getting after. He's saying, no, do you actually see her? Do you see what's really going on here? And I think there's a lesson that we can learn here as we engage with life with our neighbors. Do we actually see what's going on right around us? Do we understand there's something sacred all around us, the people who are sleeping 30, 40, 50 feet away? Are we actually taking the time? Do we have margin? Are we kind of paralyzed by fear as we've been talking about over those last few weeks? If we're going to be the kind of people that God wants us to be in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, wherever we are, we have to be the kind of people that see what's happening, that live at a pace at which we're interruptible, that engage, that maybe ask that one little question that takes everything just a little bit farther, that lean into those mildly awkward moments. Do we see the people that are right around us? And I think that's one of the big takeaways that we can learn from this story when it comes to life with our neighbors. The other thing that I think we can learn from this story is that Jesus practices the art of receiving. You know, put yourself in that situation. You're in that banquet hall, and this person comes and just throws himself at your feet. If it was me, there'd be a big part of me go, no, 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 you don't need to do this. This is totally unnecessary. Come up, come up here, look me eye. That's not what Jesus does. He lets the whole thing play out. Jesus didn't need to have his feet washed that day, but he allows it to happen. He demonstrates that there's an art to receiving. And when I first started thinking about my neighborhood and about what I wanted to do and what God wanted to do, I did this weird thing where I kind of like put on my super Christian neighbor cape and I started to look out and think about who are the widows that need to be helped? Is there something that we can go and fix? I just, I just went into that mode. It's something that I find myself defaulting into very often. Let me tell you what I've learned. There's great power and being the person on the other end of the receiving or of the giving. There's great power in being vulnerable enough and being secure enough to allow other people to give to you. And we probably all know this. Maybe you have a friend or a mentor or somebody in your life that's been really helpful to you, but then every time you ask them and say, hey, tell me a little bit about like what I could be doing to pray for you or to help you, and they go, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good right? Those are one-way street relationships. And one-way street relationships have a ceiling. They're limited. Real relationships are reciprocal. They're two-way streets. And if we're going to be in those types of relationships with the people that God has placed around us, we need to be willing to accept help. And it, it could be very, very small things. I, I remember one of my neighbors, his yard looks like, like a, a fairway on a golf course, and it's right next to mine, and mine does not look like that at all. And I remember one day we were just out there in front, and I just looked at him, and I just said, hey, Rod, help me figure this out. Like, how, how, is, how do these two things exist right next to each other? And he started to laugh, and he also started to come alive, and he just went off. He just started to tell me story. Like, he went by month by month of, like, every single thing he does for his yard. And, and I am just sitting there listening. It was like an eight-minute sermon. And I'm listening, and I'm listening, and I'm listening, and he got done. And I just thought to myself, this totally isn't worth it. <laughs> uh, and I also have this, that's not what I said, though. What I said was fascinating. And I just smiled. And something really important happened between him and I right there. Just by me asking for a little bit of advice, something that he was passionate about, 
he began to kind of share what was on his heart. And there was a connection. There was an exchange of dignity that was made. And I've seen this over and over and over again. What does it look like if we're the kind of people in our neighborhoods who don't get in our cars and drive 25 minutes round trip to get two things from the store, but actually walk across the street and say, hey, do you happen to have this laying around? I'm going to get it for you next time I'm at the store. What does it look like if we're the kind of people that just say, hey, could you help me move this thing like 10 feet? Could you help me? Like, I don't really understand cars. You're always out here trying to figure out your car. Could you just come take a look at this for me? Those are mildly awkward ass, and they make a big, big difference. My life with many of my neighbors changed because of this act of receiving, because I leaned in into an awkward moment. I was sitting there at a block party with all of my neighbors, and there was three or four of them that were off to the side, and I kind of moseyed up to them to see what they were talking about, and I quickly realized they were talking about hunting. And I am not a hunter, at least I wasn't then. But I started to kind of laugh, and I was going to try to awkwardly get away from the conversation. And then one of my neighbors, and this will tell you a lot about what they think about me, one of my neighbors said, hey, Dave, you should go get your hunter safety card and come hunting with us. And then they all laughed like this evil laugh, like, ha, 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 ha. Uh, And so and we all kind of laughed together, and it was fun. And then that night, I was sitting there going to bed, and I just thought to myself, like, what if I did that? What if I went and actually did that? Just to try to, like, experience something that they really love and that they're up to. And so I don't know, some of you out there, how many of you out there have like actually, you have, you have your hunter's safety, okay? You know what this is like then. I went for an entire Saturday and I sat in the basement of this weird room in the bottom of a sporting goods store. And for seven hours, I sat there and I watched 1970s videos about people who get drunk and then go hunting and shoot their feet off. And that's, that's actually really what it's like. And so I endure this whole thing. I take the quiz at the end and I get done and they give you this little orange card. And I went back to my neighbor who laughed the hardest at me and I flipped this orange card up on the coffee table and I said, when are we going hunting? And it was at that moment I realized he did not want to go hunting with me at all. <laughs> but I, he was, I had him trapped. And so we drove out about three and a half hours outside of where I live, and we went turkey hunting. And it was one of the most incredible and humbling experiences of my life. I had gone out and I had bought all my like new clothes, my camo, and I had everything ready. And we wake up, it's like four in the morning. And I wake up and I get out there and I, it, I mean, I was so stinking tired and I had all my new stuff on and I made sure I took all the tags off. And these guys come up to me and they began to dress me. Like they are sitting there like, that doesn't go around your head, okay? And that's the wrong camo pattern. Go get that other one. And it was incredibly humbling and awkward because I'm sitting there as a grown man being dressed by other grown men. And then we go out to hunt and we're walking around and we're like, it's pitch dark. And evidently, I don't know how to walk right. They start like, they're like hey, you've got to walk. Don't walk in the path. That's where it's allowed. You walk in the grass and here's how you walk. And again, I'm just sitting there being humbled, feeling incredibly awkward as these men are dressing me and teaching me. I felt like I was a little infant. And I'm going to tell you something. Something happened from that experience that put my relationship with those guys on the fast track. And it was because I just was willing to get out of my comfort zone of always being the person that has the answers 
always being the one that like has the piece of advice and to go into a world where I was clueless and where they were able to be the experts. And that's the art of receiving. And I'm convinced one of the best things that we can do is to emulate what Jesus does and to practice the art of receiving over and over and over again with the people that God's put around us. I think it's one of the best things that we can do to build real relationships, to build true relationships. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been doing this little quiz. We've been doing the block map quiz. And we're gonna do it again here today. And here's why. This little thing right here, the block map was the key to everything that happened in my city. The block map was like a, is a hundred times better than the book because it helps you start taking some really small attainable steps towards relationship, towards getting to know your actual neighbors. And when we take those small steps, a friend of mine likes to say, you know, when you learn somebody's name and you remember their name and you use their name, it's like stepping onto a moving sidewalk. It's one small step, but it just starts to put you in motion. And so if you have your block map right there in the bulletin, I would just encourage you to like take it out right now. And I want you to do this. I want you to begin, would you just take a moment to write down the first names of as many people as you can in the eight houses that are closest to you. So go ahead and just start writing right now. And now here's what I wanna know. If you're in this room today and you can fill out a name that you couldn't four weeks ago, would you just raise your bulletin up in the air? Yeah, way to go. What, what you're doing, it may seem small, but it's real ministry. It's the real deal. What we do out in our front yards counts. It's just like serving on the elder board or volunteering with children. All these things, those are all important. But what we do in our front yard, it really counts. And what I've learned personally and what my friends have learned and what the people who attend our church has learned is that when you can start a movement, when you can start helping people walk down this line, our cities will change. Our neighborhoods will change. The county of Erie will change. If, if you will allow yourself to be used as a catalyst to just bringing people together, starting to build those connections right where you are. One of the things that I've learned is that this neighboring stuff isn't easy. It's really messy. And it's also really, really powerful. And for me, it's one of those things, it's kind of like parenting. It's hard, it's really, really hard, but I don't ever wanna go back. And I'm convinced that if you'll just start to walk down this road, if you'll start to identify some attainable small steps that you can take in your own neighborhood, that you'll be shocked at what happens with some of the people who live right around you. And I've just learned that there's this really dangerous prayer that we can all pray. And it just goes like this, God, what's the next small step that you want me to take in my neighborhood? And if you'll pray that prayer and just get quiet in front of God, what you'll find is that some of those people that live around you are dying for a real relationship. And it's not only gonna change your neighborhood, it's gonna change you. This is a discipline that I think Jesus has commanded us to do and that we can all practice. And when we do it, it benefits both us and the people that God has placed around us. And so to all of you in Erie County, I'm gonna be praying for you. I'm so excited to see what happens as a result of all of your churches coming together and with one voice saying, what, what if Jesus meant our actual neighbors too? Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the leaders of these churches. 
for the way that they have put aside their own agendas, for their heart for unity, for what they're doing in this city together. And God, I pray for each and every person in this room, Lord, would you give them the courage to lean into mildly awkward moments with their neighbors, to linger into a conversation? God, would you just be with them as they take the next small step right outside their front door? In your name, amen.